we started gathering as a community weekly in October of last year. And in some ways, I feel like from then till now, we've sort of slowly been making our way to today and the next four weeks. We've been clearing things off the table that some of us have carried in, been unloading some baggage, been finding new language, new patterns, ways of being together. But I'm really excited for the next four weeks uh, for where we're going. So, so welcome, and we're going to get into it. Uh, if you're wondering, by the way, why I have a lobster face, I, uh, I was at the game yesterday, or at least at the tailgate for most of the day, and it's funny, in my head, a beautiful fall day, like I wear sunscreen to the beach, not to campus in the fall. Obviously, I'm just not mature enough to be able to connect the dots that I had sun raging on my face for like 12 hours yesterday. Um, but I was really excited to have uh, a game day Saturday on campus. Uh, I had some friends coming in from out of town and was excited to show them Notre Dame. And honestly, like if you're going to show friends Notre Dame, there couldn't be like anything better than yesterday. The weather's perfect. It's September. It's a big football game. The campus is just like electrified. The stadium, the new, you know, like the new bigger, better, badder stadium is there. The jumbotron and all that kind of stuff. So I'm super excited about having friends on campus for Notre Dame football, right? I'm even more excited that most of them haven't been to Notre Dame before, so it's all new for them. And I'm even more excited about one of the friends that I have coming to campus because it's Notre Dame football, it's the Fighting Irish, and I have a friend who's flying over from Ireland. I have an Irish friend coming to see the Fighting Irish, right? Like, I'm super pumped about this. Have you ever had one of those moments in your head where you have this image and it's beautiful and wonderful and fantastic, but as soon as the thing that you imagined is in front of you in reality, you're like, oh, wait a minute. This is one of those, because in my head, I'm like, it's great, it's the Irish, and my friend's Irish, and I get to campus, and I realize the entire campus of Notre Dame is filled with idiotic caricatures of Irish culture, right? Like, you know, what I, you know like, like stupid white Americans doing jigs and stuff like that, and I'm pretty sure that's not happening on a daily ba- basis in Belfast, like, so that, I'm not sure if this is a good thing, and, and at one point, there's a... there's a very drunk man in a leprechaun costume, like a full leprechaun costume, and he's like three feet away from us, like screaming and yelling and being abrasive. And I kind of elbow my buddy and I say, I'm sorry, man, what do you think? And he says, actually, I don't know, drunk in the street and loud looks pretty Irish to me. So <laughs> maybe we were okay. But, but, but having a friend uh, on campus who hadn't been to a Notre Dame tailgate before put me in a different mode, even though I've been on campus for a lot of games. Maybe you've had this before. You have some environment that you're used to, right? Maybe it's like your family, but then you have a new friend over for family dinner. Or maybe it's your church, and you go there every week and you're used to it, but you bring a friend who's never been to your church or not used to church, and all of a sudden, you're seeing the whole thing through a different lens, right? You're you're seeing it a little more critically, you're evaluating it, you're thinking about how weird some of this stuff is that never struck you as weird before. And I'm all over campus thinking about how college football in America is just the weirdest thing ever. You know what I mean? Like thousands and thousands and thousands of people who decide that setting up in a parking lot on asphalt is a better place to cook a seven-course meal than a restaurant somewhere, you know? Like going over the top with the tailgate, wearing costumes, like the weirdest costumes, perfectly reasonable, responsible adult human beings. On this one day of the week, they show up on campus in costumes. You know, there's, um, and then, then there's these people carrying musical instruments in military garb. It's like, are you marching to a battle somewhere? You know, there's, um, there's this massive structure that's been built, this huge, almost like a billion dollars spent on this thing that's used, what, like what's six times, like 24 hours a year, right? <laughs> All of this investment, all this energy, and all of a sudden I'm looking at it through that different lens, right? And I'm thinking to myself, if I were like an alien 
who just landed on campus yesterday and saw all of this from a, a critical distance, right? Not like a part of it, but just from a distance. I would have so many questions, but most of them would probably revolve around, like, what is at the center of all of this? Clearly, there's a lot of energy spent, a lot of money spent, a lot of creativity deployed for this festival, this thing that's happening. What is at the center of it? What is energizing it? Like, what compels people to do this, right? I might ask, like, do those things at the center, do they justify it? Does it make sense? If you get to the center of it and you see what that center is, would it make sense? Now, for the record, I don't think that eating good food on a beautiful fall day needs any other justification, so I'm all for the tailgate. But you could ask those questions about anything that you spend a lot of time, a lot of energy on, anything that you see a lot of people investing in. You could ask, like, what's at the center of that? What energizes that? What's compelling them to do that? Uh, does that center justify all of that work, right? And I've actually th thought about that often with church, especially in the last year. Because uh, for me, like, being a part of the church and, and having my employment with the church and my career with the church, like, the last year, I and a whole bunch of other people have put a lot of effort into it, a lot of investment into it. There's been a lot of people coming around it so that we could be a church together. And throughout all of that, I've just been thinking about what's at the center of this? What energizes it? What justifies it? And we want to talk about that for the next few weeks. Now, to get there, I, I, want, I want to unpack a word that we've heard before. Uh, if you've had any experience with, like, Christianity, Christian religion, if you had a grandma who went to church, if you've been an American for more than a minute where Christianity shows up a lot, like, this is a word that we've heard before. The word packs a lot of freight, and it's a word that has a lot of attachments that I, I want to avoid if I can. So, uh, so to, to get into this word, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you where it shows up, a really important place in the scriptures, but I'm not going to tell you the word. You'll see where we go with this. I want to I wanna, uh, find some original meaning here and see what we can do with that. So let me take you to the book of Matthew. This is one of the stories of Jesus in the Bible. And uh, this is a really important point in the story of Jesus in the Bible because this is when Jesus' ministry is just about to open up and he's about to spend three years teaching and healing and working around uh, that place, right? So this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And here's what we read. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the euangelion. Gesundheit. Just kidding. Proclaiming the euangelion. That's the word. I want to unpack this word euangelion for a little bit because it's really, really important. This word shows up almost a hundred times just in the New Testament. This word and its variants. It's a really important word. And once I get to the English part of it, you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm used to hearing Christians talk about that word, but I don't want to go there yet. I want to work on this in its original language. It's original context. I want to see if we can get back to it, okay? So one way that we could figure out, like, what, what did Matthew, who's writing Matthew's got, like, what does he mean when he says that Jesus is walking around talking about Evangelion? Like, what would he have in mind? Well, this is the, um, originally a Jewish community, right? And they have the Hebrew Scriptures. And the Hebrew Scriptures, though, are originally written in Hebrew and Arabic and Akkadian, originally, right? By the time that Jesus shows up on the scene, the Hebrew Scriptures have been translated into Greek in a version called the Septuagint. And so we can go back and say, does this Greek word euangelion show up earlier in the text in a way that helps us understand what they meant by it? And it does. So let me take you to one of those examples. This is uh, the prophet Isaiah, uh, chapter 40. And we're going to see this word a couple times here. Hey, you who bring euangelion to Zion, go up on a high mountain. In other words, get to a place where everybody can see and hear this. You who bring Evangelion to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. You who are having this Evangelion on your lips, who are sharing it with people, you are saying, here is your God. 
So like, just to get things started, we could say that euangelion is a word about God. It has something, something to do with the nature of God, with what God is like. Maybe, in fact, with not just what God is like, but how God relates to the world that we live in every day. Now, at the time that this text is being written, if you're Israel, you have reasons to question what God is like. You have reasons to question what, what is sort of the fundamental nature of the reality that we live in as a people that we call God. Like, what, what is that like, and how does that reality, that presence, that person, that being, how does God relate to us? And the reason you might be asking that is because you have suffered for a very long time when Isaiah 40 is being written. Uh, this text comes out of an experience of exile for the Israelite people. And I think it's hard for us to even get our heads around how exile uh, rocks them, devastates them, traumatizes them. Um, exile is when a foreign power comes in and defeats you, embarrasses you in front of the nations, then drags you away from your homeland, breaks up your families, and puts you wherever they want to put you inside their kingdom, prevents you from worshiping the way that you want to worship or from laying out the customs that make you know who you are. I, I know this is hard because like, for a lot of us, we move around a lot, right? So connection to homeland may not have as much depth for us as it does for these people. But it's history and identity and relationship. It's all the ways that you know who you are, and they've just had all of that ripped away from them. It's violent and traumatic, and they've been living in exile in Babylon for quite a while now. And if you're Israel, you might be asking, like, how did we get here? You might wake up every day with that ache inside that longs for home. And you might think to yourself, home is a long way away. And even if I had the freedom to go back to it, I'm not sure I have the strength to go back to it. Um, in this moment, Evangelion is it's a word about God for people who are far away from where they want to be, from people who are far away from true self or from who they are called to be. And it's a word for people who might wonder how God relates to them in that moment. So have all that in mind as we listen uh, to a little more of the book of Isaiah. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. All right, sounds good. Like, that's comforting, I suppose. Um, but the language gets more specific in a moment here. Because if you're Israel and you're 900 miles away from home, even if Babylon lets you go, it's a 900-mile walk. It's a dangerous journey. And by the way, at the end of that journey, you're going back to a homeland that's been decimated. You're not going back to, like, the home that you left. You're going back to a homeland that has been ripped apart by the armies that took you into exile. They left nothing there for you, nothing to sustain you. Your homes have been torn down. Your temple has been ripped apart. There's nothing there for you when you get back. So after you get back, you're exhausted, and then you have to rebuild. And it's in the middle of that, that, that awareness that ahead of us we have a long road to walk home. It's in the middle of that that we read this a couple of verses later. Why do you complain, Jacob? Jacob, here's another word for the people of Israel. Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? Listen, don't you know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Evangelion is not just a word about God. It's a very particular word about God here. It's a word about a God who says, I know that you are far from home. You're not invisible to me. 
I haven't forgotten about you. I haven't given up on you. I haven't turned my back on you. In fact, I am here with you, and I'm ready to walk with you. And when you get weary, I'm ready to strengthen you. And when you feel like you can't rebuild it, I'm there to help you with my power to rebuild this thing. You're not alone on the road home. This is euangelion. This is a word about God and, and the way that he relates to people who find themselves far away from where they want to be, far away from who they're meant to be, far away from what they're called to do in the world. It's a good word. Now, there's... Uh, Another context for this word in Scripture. So here we're drawing from the Hebrew Scriptures, from the Jewish imagination of what this word would mean. But as Jesus is doing his work in the world and as Matthew is being written in the world, that's not the only context that would have been pressing upon them with this word. Because this word also shows up in the context of the Roman Empire that Israel finds itself within at the time of Jesus. So uh, a little bit of history here for the history nerds, right? You have the sort of Hellenized era, the Greek era where the Greeks sort of rule the day. And then that transitions to the Roman era where you have the Roman Empire. But it's not like a clean, simple transition. What happens for a while there is you have this sort of loosely organized republic without a lot of structure, without a lot of power, without a lot of leadership. And, and then you have a sort of villages side by side that are warring against each other without the strength of organization of a major empire. And then Augustus comes along, the Caesar, and he unifies Rome uh, less as a republic and more as an empire under the empire. And for a lot of people, they experience this as a good thing because there's a strong man now who is laying down the law, keeping everybody in line, and when you've got that, you have a certain kind of order that can work in the world, right? Well, it's interesting, so this word euangelion, it shows up in this context too. For example, uh, something around 6 BC, which is like right around the time that Jesus was born, uh, this is in Asia Minor, this is inscribed on a government building in the Roman Empire. Look for the word euangelion here. The most divine Caesar, when everything was falling into disorder and tending toward dissolution, like chaos everywhere, right? He restored it once more and gave the whole world a new aura. Augustus, who being sent to us and our descendants a savior, has put an end to war and has set all things in order. The birthday of the god Augustus has been for the whole world the beginning of euangelion concerning him. I pull that into this because for these people, it wouldn't just be a word that comes from their sort of religious history as Jewish people. It's also a word that comes from their political world. It's a word that comes from the way that the, the world fits together in their era, the way that peace is held in their era, the way that people who are out of line are brought in line in their era. This isn't just a word for individuals who feel like they're a long way from home. It's a word for all of us collectively when we look at the world and we see it breaking, we see it dissolving, we see it falling apart, we see it not working together, and we wonder who or what will hold it together, will bring it together. It's a word for when we see disharmony everywhere, and then we wonder who or what will bring harmony to the things that we see in the world. This is not just a word about God, it's a word about the world that we live in and how wholeness and peace may be found in that world for the ways that we connect with one another and relate to each other. This is the word euangelion. Surely, I, I promise you, like this is all going to be operative in, in, in the mind of the early church when they're using this word and talking about Jesus walking around speaking euangelion. Now, um, let's, uh, let's go back to the word and do a little sort of breakdown here. Uh, this is in the Greek, euangelion, but you can do the parts. So eu is a prefix that just means good. Like if you've heard of like a euphemism, that's like nicer language for something, right? Good language for something. Uh, eu, good. And now the other part of that there, angelion, uh, there's a word we might recognize, and I'm not talking about lion. There's another word there we might recognize, which is angel, right? Uh, this isn't good angel. Angel gets its name like the angels that, that do what they do. They get their name because this word means message or word. 
Jesus was walking around sharing a good word. Or let me show you uh, the language that you might be even more familiar with. Let's go back to Matthew and look at this. Matthew 4, 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, or the way this shows up through the Old English is the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, let's go back to that text. Uh, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Let's keep going. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan, they followed him. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. And his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is walking around sharing a good word that for these people would mean something about where you find yourself far from home and you're not sure how you're going to make your way back. For these people who wonder how it is that the world will be brought together in peace when it keeps breaking, when it keeps bloodying itself in violence, when we keep coming at each other, what way brings peace in the world? Who brings peace in the world? Who do we trust to bring peace in the world? What kind of order brings healing to the world? This is a word for all of that, and he's going around talking about it. And in case people wonder if he knows what he's talking about, there are these powerful signs to corroborate it. He's healing people. It's as if to say, like, if you wonder if this word is reliable, just look at the fruit of it in the, in the lives of the people that Jesus is touching. And then he sees all of these crowds and he gets together in, in front of them and he says, look, there's a kingdom that, that is of God, that is good, that is whole. And he says, by the way, it's for every kind of person, even those who are so empty inside, they feel like they have nothing to give to this kingdom. If you have a poverty in your spirit, he says, it's even for you. He goes on, we'll look at it in the weeks to come, but he says things like, are you meek? Are you, are you the kind of person that has no power to take anything in the world? You too will inherit what you need. He says, are, are you mourning? Are you weeping? Are you lamenting the fact that this world does not work for you. That you've had this thing that you love, this person that you love, this dream that you held on to, this aspiration that moved you and it's been ripped out of your hands. Even you, he says, it's for every kind of person, no matter how far away you feel from it or no matter how little you have to offer it. He says, it's for every kind of person. This is the good word that comes out. Now, I, I didn't want to like throw the word up there right away because when you hear gospel or good news, I fear that uh, you might have some baggage with that. Like maybe you've heard like somebody uh, preaching what they call a gospel and it felt like mostly it was about making you afraid. You felt like it was about mostly uh, manipulating you, coercing you, dragging you into some kind of decision or response and you just don't like being messed with like that. Um, maybe you've seen the word gospel in front of other things used like an adjective and you're not sure what they have to do with anything or how it all fits together. And I just wanted to clear the table and say this begins as a good word about God, about the nature of God about the character of God, about God's disposition. And if it's a good word about God, then it's a good word about the, the fundamental reality that we live in, right? I mean, there's nothing more fundamentally real than God, and so it's, it's a word about the reality that we live in. And it's a word not just about something we experience individually, but it's a word about how the world fits together. So we're going to talk about gospel for the next few weeks. Um, I said, you know, maybe you felt like you've been, like, manipulated into, like, a decision or a response. We don't have any of that heart in us. But many of us, we've experienced the fact that this word, it does call for a kind of response, a kind of opening your life to it, a kind of reorienting yourself around it. And one of the ways that we sort of signal that response, one of the ways that we sort of embed it in our lives is a practice or a sacrament that we call baptism. And on October, uh, I want to get the dates right, I think it's the 8th and 10th. 
Yeah, that's Sunday, Tuesday. Uh, we'll have our first uh, baptisms as a church, and we're really looking forward to um, celebrating with people who are just discovering this good news, this good word about God, and what God is like, and how God relates to the world, and how it is that peace may come in the world. Uh, a few years ago, I was in Israel, and I know I've shared some of these stories before with some of you guys, but a few years ago, I was in Israel, and I was there for conflict education, which uh, it wasn't quite so much like kumbaya, like on the Sea of Galilee. It was more uh, about 10 days of, of, of very, very brutal um, encounters with people who are um, being hurt by the conflict there, uh, the Palestinian-Israeli stuff. So we, one day on, in the morning, we might sit with an Israeli mother whose son was shot and killed by a Palestinian sniper. And then an hour later, we'd be sitting with a Palestinian father whose 12-year-old daughter was shot and killed by the Israeli Defense Forces when they mistook his car for a terrorist car. And then that afternoon, we'd go to a playground at an elementary school where they'd show us the bomb shelter underside or underneath it and point out that uh, they have about 15 seconds when they hear the siren to get down underneath there because of the bombs that come over the wall from Gaza. And we, we sat with politicians uh, who some seemed very invested in the conflict, like there's something that they get out of the conflict being perpetuated, and others seemed very invested in its resolution, but they had different ideas about how to do that. Uh, we saw weapons everywhere and walls everywhere and barbed wire everywhere, and uh, it just broke me. And I remember like seven days into the trip, I just get to a point where I'm like, I can't, I don't think I can take any more of this. Like I can't, I just can't keep seeing how broken the world is, how it doesn't fit together, how it doesn't work. Uh, it, 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 as if like the world is bleeding right in front of my eyes. And I remember being in my hotel room one night, in fact, and I, I'm feeling this very um, deeply, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do because we have a few days left on the trip, and it's not like there's a hundred of us in a room for these meetings. There's six of us with these people. So there's six of us with a member of the Knesset, the parliament. There's six of us with a member of the, of the Palestinian Authority in Ramallah. There's six of us with a parent who is weeping over their child, and you can't fake it, and you can't just be calloused and sit in the back. You have to be present for these things, and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to make it for a few more days, and I keep saying to myself, it's like there's no way this gets better. There's no way this gets healed. There's no way anything positive comes out of this. There's no way the way that, that, that this is breaking stops breaking. And then the next day, uh, we're visiting a church, and it was a Melkite church, which is an ancient branch uh, sort of related to the Catholic church, and they have icons in the church, which if you've been in sort of an Orthodox church or a Catholic church, you might have seen symbols and, and, and paintings that help them meditate and pray. And so we're in this church, and, and there are icons everywhere, and on one of them, there's a brown man. And me being an idiot, I asked the priest, I say, who's, who's the dude? I didn't, I didn't say the brown dude, because that would be awkward, I suppose. But I'm thinking, who's the brown dude? <laughs> and he says, uh, that's Jesus. Awesome. Great. <laughs> Probably, a, you know, a better representation of what he would have really looked like, right? Um, that's Jesus. And he's holding up a book, and it's open, and there are some phrases in, in Arabic written in the book. And it says, oh, I, I asked the priest, I said, what does it say? And in English, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And it struck me profoundly because the night before I had literally been saying in my spirit, there's no way. There's no way for peace. Like the, it, it, it's just a dead end. There's no way. I just kept feeling that. And something broke open inside me uh, when I was looking at brown-skinned Jesus in this Melkite church in the West Bank with my Palestinian friends. Something broke open inside me. And I remember going back to my hotel room and opening my Bible 
uh, to the places like Matthew 4 and 5 where Jesus speaks about this way. And it's funny, guys, because like, I had the same Bible for a very long time, and I've made notes in it, and I've used it to preach, and I've used it to study on my own, I've used it to pray. And so you can kind of see where the traffic patterns are in my book. And I turn to Matthew 5, and I know I've shared this with some of you before, but it's, it's really quite central for me. I turn to Matthew 5, and it's like pristine, untouched pages. You know what I mean? And so I start, I start um, listening differently to Jesus as he teaches and as he heals and as he moves through the world. I start thinking about a world that said, there's good news about a Caesar who will show up at your village with an army, and you will either submit or you will die. And I thought about how different that sounds from a Lord who says, I'll die if I have to, but you will know that you are loved, and I will invite you into this way so that you can be healed. There's... Um, so many frequent occasions for me, sometimes several times a day, where I like have this awakening moment where I say, I'm very far from home. Like, I'm very far from who I, I know that I'm called to be. I'm very far from the fullness of life that I want to live. I'm very far from adding good things to the world in the way that I want to and I know that I'm supposed to. I'm very far from home. And I am learning over and over again when I have that awakening moment, I'm learning to hear this good word of a God who says, that's okay, I'm not against you. I'm ready to walk with you. And it might be a long walk. It might be the rest of your life that you are slowly walking, but you are not alone. And when you are exhausted and worn out by that journey, or when you get back to your home and you find that it is decimated, destroyed, and you don't know how you will rebuild it, I'm learning over and over again to hear this good word that Jesus teaches. He is walking around saying, I have a good word for you about God. I have a good word about what God is doing in the world. I have a good word for you about how the world might be put back together, not through violent power, but through this sacrificial way. And I'll lead you in it, and I'll form you in it. And this good news, you might actually believe it so much, it might mark you so much that you might want to get on a hillside somewhere and like shout it out. Like You might want to like tell other people. You might want to get the word out there that there's better news in the world than simply the things that we see in the headlines lines. So we're going to do gospel for four weeks, uh, three after this one, and we're going to do baptisms. And um, if you're a person that has lots of baggage with this stuff, I get that. Um, And we're not here to coerce anything or manipulate anything, Um, but we are here to speak good news to one another. We're here to talk about grace and peace and Jesus at the center of all things. And we're here to talk about how we actually grow and become the kinds of people following Christ who are helping put the world back together and I was talking to a friend after our first service today, and I used a phrase with him that I, somebody else came up with, and I'm, I don't even know who. Uh, but it, it strikes me as very true that we are all sort of walking each other home. And so we want to be uh, an evangelian community. We want to be a gospel-centered community. We want to recover the original power and energy of that word, that good word, and we want to walk each other home. So that's where we're going the next few weeks baptisms in October. We'll have some information on the website soon so that you can learn more about that. I always wish the train would whistle like at a punctuating moment, you know what I mean? (laughs) Maybe I'll know the sermon's really on fire when that happens. Um, But I I couldn't um, dream of a community that I would rather uh, walk home with than you. And um, I couldn't dream of a community that would teach me more about this good word than you. And so I'm glad that we get to do that together. Uh, If you're able, you want to stand to your feet? And uh, I'll do just a bit of a a prayer for us and kind of help us reflect for just a few seconds. So if you want to close your eyes or just breathe deeply or just kind of collect yourself. I suspect there are some of us who feel uh, very far from home. And perhaps we're even afraid to consider the distance. 
For some, we feel like we were dragged far away from home. For others, we know that we got there ourselves. And you might wonder, is there strength to get back? And I just um, hope that we might open ourselves to this good word over the next few weeks for you. For others, we may wonder how the world fits together. What possible way, what possible person, what possible word could, could bring the world back together if we feel sort of cut by the rough edges of the world that is breaking, if we feel like we are bleeding with it, I pray that uh, we would hear this word deeply, not just on our ears, but in our souls, in that deep inner place out of which we live. So God, over the next few weeks, uh, we invite you to just speak a good word to us. I think a lot of us are hungry for a good word. I think a lot of us are aching for it. Um, but we hear Jesus speaking, so we ask that he would speak here. We pray these things through him. And before I say amen, uh, why don't you open your eyes and look at me, because we often end this way. Let me say, grace and peace be with you. And, also with you. and we all said, amen. amen. Love you, friends. See you soon.